First John was a letter written to early Christians in Ephesus who were in need of encouragement. John shows them, and us, that authentic followers of Jesus have three characteristics. Right belief that exalts Jesus as the Son of God. Right behavior to God's truth as revealed in God's Word through God's Son and Spirit. And right brotherly love for those who claim to know Jesus. By this, we know that we are true followers of Jesus. By the way we obey. By the way we love others. By the way we have received the Spirit and have confidence in Him. Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Some of you got the scripture journal last week. If you did not get one, there may be some out on the table in the foyer. If not, we have ordered more. So you'll want to bring that with you as we do our studies. All right. I want to start off this morning by uh, asking you a question. The question is this, has anybody ever stolen anything from you? Have you ever had anything stolen? All right. I want you to think about how that made you feel when you found out something had been stolen from you. So in 1991, I was a sophomore at OBU, and I was attending church at Emmanuel Baptist down on Main Street, and I was working at that time as an intern with the student pastor. His name was Butch Booth, and Butch had asked me to stay over uh, to speak to the youth that next morning, I had packed my stuff up, was ready to go home on Friday. We, it was the end of the semester. I had a 1987 Suzuki Samurai, and I had the back end of that thing just crammed full of my possessions. And I uh, had stayed over at his house for a couple of nights, got up on Sunday morning to go grab something out of my vehicle uh, in preparation for speaking to the teenagers that morning and, and found out that my vehicle had been broken into the night before. Somebody had gotten into my Suzuki Samurai and stolen, of all things, my clothing and my word processor, among some other things. Now, some of you know what a word processor is, those of you that laughed. Others of you don't, but I love that thing. I got it for graduation from my parents. I graduated from high school in 89. They got me this giant word processor, humongous. It had a big old backpack thing that you carried it in, and it had a built-in printer. I love this thing. It had a little tiny monochrome screen about this big. You would type out about four or five sentences. You could go back and read it if your eyesight would allow. And if it was all correct, you could hit print, and it would print that portion of what you were typing up. It was amazing, but I was so frustrated. I was so angry. I thought, God, I have stayed two days. I could have gone home on Friday, but I've stayed an extra couple of days to do your work, to speak to the students at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I was so frustrated. Well, needless to say, I did not get to speak. I had to wait on the police, and I was so angry. And as I was thinking about John and his writing of this letter to the churches in Ephesus with what was going on, I couldn't help but think of the frustration and the anger that must have flooded his heart as he thought about the fact that the truth was being torn away from the church. These false teachers had come in and they were ripping the truth away. And we talked about this last week, how so quickly that had happened. In the matter of 50 or 60 years, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ was being torn away from the church. And I can only imagine that he had the same kind of frustration within his heart that I had when I woke up that morning to find out that my stuff had been stolen. And then I think about our generation and our world. And I realize honestly that our world's not a whole lot different than John's world that he was riding into because I asked the question, what's happened to the truth? 
Where's the truth gone? Who's stolen the truth? So in preparation for this sermon, I uh, did a lot of research about what had happened to the truth in our world, in our nation. And I jotted something down. I just want you to listen. I would, I would quote it, but I can't. I'm not that good, so just listen. Something happened a few hundred years ago. We, out, we outsmarted truth. We call it the Enlightenment or the Age of Reason. No longer could we nor would we accept the supernatural. Our superior intellect had educated us to the point of unbelief. Reason and science would, or so we thought, explain everything. The explosive birth of the planets, the evolution of species, the morality or lack thereof of mankind. And if it could not, if intellect and science couldn't explain it, then we would just discard it, tossing it away as antiquated or superstitious. And so we abandoned truth, God's truth in particular, and settled instead for man's intellect. Let that soak in for a second. Created man with his minute mind and limited intellect, thinking he knows better than the all-knowing creator of the universe. What arrogance. As I was studying, I ran across a lecture, if I can get this to work, by this gentleman named Rick Roderick. He was a professor at Duke University. He has since died, but he said this, the Enlightenment wants to free the human mind from superstition and from dogma, from the adherence to prejudice. This is the goal of the Enlightenment. The trouble is we're blocked. We are blocked in a way by an unprecedented structure of what I have called here cynical, skeptical reason. To me, it's historically unmatched. I have never read or heard of a period like this one. I have read about many historical periods, but not one in which you can talk to young people the way that you can at the college level today and find out that they believe nothing. They hope nothing. They expect nothing. They dream nothing. And they desire nothing. He gave this lecture in 1993. I was a senior at OBU in 1993. Matter of fact, I graduated in December of 1993 from OBU, married my, my wife, Rachel, on January the 1st, 1994. And on January the 7th of 1994, I was serving my first full-time ministry position as the student pastor of First Baptist Church, Poto, Oklahoma. And I don't know who Rick Roderick spoke to, but he didn't come to my campus because I had hope. And I had dreams and I had goals. You know why? Because my life was built on the truth of God's word. And when our life is built on the truth, we have hope. Now listen, I get it. I understand. I understand why he would say this. Because friends, when you take God and you kick him out of your university and you kick him out of your schools and you kick him out of your community and your state and your nation, when you kick him out, you don't have anything to hope in. At least not anything that's worth hoping in or dreaming for or desiring. Now listen, listen. I'm not saying that we dismiss human reason or science or intellect. I'm not saying that at all. I think all three of these, science and reason and absolute truth, I think these are all 
gifts from God. But friends, we have to accept the fact that there are certain things that we can't explain. We can't explain miracles. We can't explain God. We can talk about God. We can talk about the characteristics of God, but I can't really explain him. I can't explain uh, one God in three persons. I can't explain the Trinity any more than you can explain the Trinity. But just, just because I can't explain it doesn't make it not real. Just because I can't explain it, just because I won't accept it, doesn't mean that it's not reality. So hear me. What our nation needs today, what your friends need, what your coworkers need, what your neighbors need, they need the truth. That's why I've titled our message today, The Truth, The Whole Truth, and Nothing But The Truth. I wanted to add the so help me God on there, but they said, that's too long. You can't do that. But honestly, we need God's help to share the truth of his love in a world that's lost in sin. Let me pray for us. We're gonna be reading verses five through 10 in 1 John chapter one. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the incredible worship that brought us to your throne of grace. Father, I know that your presence here. I know your spirit is here. Father, I can't explain that either, but I know you're here because I can feel your presence, Father. And I know you desire to work. I know, Father, that in a, a crowd this size, there are people that are in darkness. There are people that are living in sin. There are people that don't know you. There are people that are inauthentic. And Father, you so desire to draw them into right relationship. So Father, we ask for salvations today. We ask God that you would be glorified. We ask that for those that are here that do know you, but they're hurting God, that you would comfort them. For those that are here that do know you, but they're tapping their feet into the darkness, tapping their toes in the darkness, Father. Uh, Father, I pray that you would convict them. I pray you would draw them back in right relationship with you. And Father, please use me and use your word to speak your truth today because that's what we need. We need your truth. Father, we love you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for what you're going to teach us. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Starting in verse five, it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John starts out in this passage talking about the truth of God. In verse five, he says, God is light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I love how the interlinear Greek to English Bible translates it says this. And this is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light. Listen, and darkness in him is not, none. And darkness in him is not, none. It's a double negative, terrible grammar, but incredible theology. What John is saying is there's not one tiny speck of darkness within God. There's no sin at all. He is 100% holy. 
That's the God we serve. No darkness at all. 100% holy. Not a single speck of darkness. And because God is holy, and because God is light, he illuminates the darkness. That's why we carry his truth into a dark world, because it illuminates and it drives out sin and it brings hope to those that are hopeless. That's why we evangelize. That's why we're ambassadors. That's why we carry the truth. That's why we're a, a light that shouldn't be hidden under a bushel. John didn't only speak about the light of God in this letter. He also speaks about the light of Christ in the gospel. First John 1 John 1.9, says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In John 8, 12, he says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may, be, may become sons of light. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. There's so much that we could say about these passages, but we can't. Just know this, God is light. David Jackman said this, all creation owes not only its existence, but its sustenance. Not just our salvation, but our survival to the God who is light and the Christ who declared himself to be the light of the world. A, fa a foundation stone of right Christian believing and living then is that intellectually, morally, and spiritually, God is light, untarnished, and undiluted. It speaks of holiness and purity of truth and integrity, but also of illumination and guidance, warmth and comfort. So John starts out by establishing the fact that God is light. We will see as we continue on that he also teaches us in this letter that God is love. First John 4, 8, anyone who, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4, 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And God is also true. 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So the truth about God, he's light, he's love, and he's truth. John continues by talking about the truth about sin. Now listen, I want to give this disclaimer. I told you guys last week, strap on your seatbelt because it's going to get hard. These are some hard truths that he's going to share. But the beauty of this passage is he doesn't stop here. He doesn't tell us who God is and then tells us what sin is without telling us about grace. So just hold on, all right? Don't look at me and think, man, you're a hard preacher because I'm gonna preach the truth because I love you, but I'm gonna preach the truth and it may be hard, but know the grace is coming. Two things that he teaches us in these passages. The first one is this, that sin separates, the separating power of sin. Verse six says, if we say that we have fellowship him, with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. The key here is the, the, the word walk. And it's a, it's a continual movement in a particular direction. And the question John is asking us to ask ourselves is, which way are you walking? 
Are you walking in the ways of God? Have you stepped out of the darkness into light? We're all sinners in need of a savior. Christ died on the cross for us. John has told us that. He's told us who Christ is and what Christ has come to do. He's offering us his grace, his mercy, and forgiveness, but we have to step out of the darkness into light. And what John is seeing in the church are these false teachers that are coming in and saying, you don't need Jesus. Jesus isn't necessary for salvation. And what John is saying is, no, if you try to get to God by any other means than Jesus, then you're still in the dark. And you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. Sin separates. Our sin separates us from a holy God. That's why he started out by saying that God is completely holy. That God is light and then there's no darkness in him at all. None. There's no sin in him at all. None. So we can't have fellowship with him because of the sin in our life. Aside from what Christ did for us on the cross. So sin separates It rips us away from our creator. But sin also deceives. Verse six, when we claim to have fellowship with God, yet live in sin, we lie to ourselves or we lie to others. When we claim to have no sin, that's the denial of my sinful nature. Then I'm lying to myself. According to verse 10, when we claim to have never sinned, that's the denial of the sinful acts in my life in the past, present, future. We make God out to be a liar. Listen to me, hear me. It's one thing to lie to others. Another thing to lie to ourselves, but God forbid that we get into a position where we're so caught up in the darkness that our lives make God out to be a liar. That's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous to lie to yourself, dangerous to lie to others, dangerous to call God a liar. But I fear in our churches across our nation and around our world, there are a lot of people that are sitting in chairs or sitting in pews that think they're walking in the light when they're really living in darkness. Sin has separated them from their heavenly father. Sin has deceived them into thinking that they're all right. God forbid we stand before him one day as we've set our ourselves in these chairs for weeks and weeks and years and years and hear God say at the end of it all, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you, because we never stepped out of darkness into light because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop lying to yourself. What defines your life? If, if Sunday mornings, if this, listen, if this is all that defines your life as a Christian, then you may be caught in the darkness. If this is all you know of Christ is what you get on Sunday mornings and then the rest of the week it's living for you and living in the ways of the world. James 4, 4 says that if we're friends to the world, then we're at enmity with God. We're an enemy to God. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be in the world, shining the light of God's love and his holiness played out in us so that people can see and they can desire, what does he have? I want what he has. Not because we're sin-free, we're still gonna sin, but because we're, we're washed, we're cleansed in the blood of Christ. That's what our world needs to hear. That's what our world needs to know. That's what our world needs to see from you, but they can't see it if you're living in the dark. And if your life is defined by living in the dark, then I'm gonna tell you this, you're not a child of God. It's what John says. It's the truth. You can lie to yourself all the way to hell. 
You can lie to your friends all the way to hell. You can call God a liar and you'll go straight to hell. But if you'll face the truth that I'm a sinner in need of a savior that's caught in darkness and I'm gonna turn my life over to Christ and I'm gonna receive his grace, mercy, and forgiveness and step out of the darkness into the light by what he did on the cross, then you will stand before him one day and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. That's what life's about. Sin is deceptive. Sin separates. So what is the essence of sin? The essence of sin is this. We want to be God in our life. So what do we do? We create our own God. Listen to this. God created man, but instead of man worshiping his creator, we have chosen instead to return the favor and create our own version of God. We've stripped God of all that is holy and made him more palatable. We can serve a God of our own making who leaves us alone, minds his own business, yet he is at our beck and call when we need him. Don't bother me, God. Don't show me by the truth of your word where I need to change my life and get in an agreement with your word. Don't show me that. I don't want, I don't want that. But when I'm facing difficulties and when I'm facing trials, I want to be able to call out to you and you're going to be at my beck and call. And God says, it doesn't work like that. God is eternal. God has never been created, nor will God allow himself to be recreated. We serve God on his terms or we don't serve God at all. That's what authentic Christianity is. Not only have we recreated God, we also have relabeled sin. It's not stealing. Listen to this. It's not stealing. It's creative acquisition. It's not gossip. It's the sharing of important information. It's not cursing. It's adults speak. That's how adults talk. It's not lying. I like this one. It's not lying. It's imaginative dialogue. It's not murder, it's a personal choice. And it's not immoral, it's innate. I was born this way. Friends, you can call it what you want. God calls it sin. I like the way Adrian Rogers had to say it. Ah, love to hear Adrian Rogers preach. Lost a good preacher. We lost Adrian Rogers. He said this, We've gone through the medicine cabinet and put new labels on old bottles of poison. We tried to change things by changing the words, but they've not really been changed at all. Some people have, with their learnedness and intelligence, made sin to be out of date. But nothing's changed except how we see ourselves. We are lying to ourselves and to a holy God. God doesn't want you to fix yourself. God wants you to come to him just the way you are, but he wants you to be honest with him. Every one of us in desperate need of a savior, every one of us, for every one of us, he's our only hope. The way he defines it, not the way we define it, but the way he defines it. Danny Aiken said this, sin matters. We dare not redefine it or pretend it doesn't exist. If it demanded the price of the blood of God's only son on the cross, then it is of paramount importance that we take it seriously. Accepting God's definition 
of where and what we are by nature and receiving his abundant pardon and restoring love by grace. This is what's interesting to me about darkness. When you're in the dark for a while, your eyes begin to adjust, right? You can see just enough. You can't see clearly. You can't see perfectly. You can't see well, but you can see well enough. So we get in the dark, our eyes adjust, we can fumble our way around and we can survive. I think that's the picture of our world. Our world is living in darkness and their eyes have adjusted and they're making their way around just good enough. And everybody else or most everybody else is heading in this direction in the dark. So why would I wanna go against the flow and head towards the light? I'm just gonna stay over here where it's safe and where it's comfortable. We have been called to pierce the darkness with the light of Christ's love. 5.55 this morning, my alarm went off. I flipped my light on and oh, I wanted to, I just pulled my blanket up over my head. The light was piercing, it hurt my eyes. I'd rather be in the dark because I want to sleep. That's what happens when we take Christ into the world. They're, well, they're not sleeping, they're dead. And we flip the light of Christ's love on by the way we live and the words that we speak. And it hurts. They want to, no, I don't want to see that because we don't want to face reality. They don't want to face reality. That the God that they've created is a God that's going to let them down and lead them to hell. That the sins that they, they relabeled, regardless of the label, those sins, if they're not atoned for by Christ, are going to send them to hell. So we take the light in our school system. We take the light in our workplace. Some of us, we take the light in our home. And we share the light of Christ out of love. And that brings us to the final point that he talks about. And that's grace. The truth about grace. Two points he talks about. He talks about the cleansing nature and the restoring nature of grace. Twice in the six verses that we read about, he talks about God's cleansing power. In verse seven, he says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we walk in the light of Christ, in the truth of his word, it brings cleansing in our life. You know, this is a hard mirror to look in sometimes. When I look into this and I see the sinful nature of myself, I don't always like what God points out. Matter of fact, you know what? I would rather, just, just human speakingly, I would rather look in a dim mirror. I look a lot better in a darkened mirror than I do in a mirror that's real bright. You've seen those makeup mirrors that they have that ginormousize all your pores and have all these lights around the outside? I don't look into those because I don't like what the years have done to me. So I'll just flip on this little nightlight in the corner and I'll look in the mirror. I'll be like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> if I want to see really what's going on, I got to shine the light bright. And when I get in the word of God and he shines the light bright, it's not listen. It's not that he's going to disown me because I belong to him. His son, Christ, his son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for me. I've been forgiven. I've been adopted into his family. I am his child. 
but there are things in my life sometimes that don't bring honor and glory to him. And when I get in the word of God and he illuminates those truths in my life, I confess those and he cleanses. It's his faithfulness. Did you catch that? It's not our faithfulness that brings the cleansing. It's God's faithfulness that brings the cleansing. So come to Christ. If you're living in darkness, come to the light. Come find a cleansing that can only be found in what Christ has done for us. And then he restores. Verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That broken relationship between us and God, when I step out of the darkness and I come into the light of his mercy and grace, boom, that relationship with the Father is restored And not just that, according to the word of God, not just that, but I now have a huge family of believers that come alongside me and they encourage me and they hold me accountable. And that's a good thing. I don't understand how people in our world outside of Christianity cope with the things that we face. One, they don't have an eternal mindset that we have, but two, they don't have the family of God that we have. You are valuable to me. Hopefully I am valuable to you. We come alongside each other when we're grieving. We come alongside each other when we're celebrating. We have one another. We have fellowship with one another because of what Christ did on the cross. We have cleansing. We have fellowship. So in closing, that's your favorite thing that a preacher ever says. In closing. Nope. Nope. Just hold that. I skipped verse five. I did on purpose. Look back at verse five. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. We heard it, we proclaim it. We talked about it last week. We saw him, we touched him, we listened to him. He was real, he was in the flesh. We have heard him and we proclaim to him. Of the original 12 apostles, all but two of them, not only did they give their lives in service, but they gave their life in martyrdom. Judas, of course, who betrayed Jesus, hung himself. We know that. John, who's the author of this letter, lived to be an old man, but he was exiled and persecuted. We know that. But these other men that followed Christ gave their lives. History records for us, some are in the scripture, most are not. History records for us how they died. And I want you to listen to this. Peter, the leader of the 12, after he watched his wife crucified because of their faith in Christ, was crucified upside down on a cross. Didn't want to be crucified right side up because he didn't feel worthy because that's how his savior died. Andrew, Peter's brother, was crucified on an X-shaped cross. James, the brother of John, the writer of this book that we're studying, was beheaded by the order of King Herod Agrippa I. Philip, by most accounts, was stoned to death. Bartholomew and Nathaniel, they're not sure what happened to him. Some say he was tied up in a sack and thrown into the sea to drown to death. Others say that he was crucified. Still others say that he was flayed to death like you flay a fish. Matthew was burned at the stake. Thomas was run through with spears. James, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified and then sawn up into pieces. Thaddeus was shot through with arrows. And Simon, the zealot, was crucified. You think these men were authentic followers of Christ? You think John, as he lived his life and watched one by one, his fellow apostles die for the cause of Christ, didn't think my turn is coming next? 
That's why John was so adamant, so adamant. That's why the others were so adamant that the truth go out, that the false teachings be squelched and the truth go out and the light pierce the darkness, even if it cost them their life because souls were at stake. Souls are still at stake. Jerome said this about the apostle John. The aged apostle John was so frail in his final days at Ephesus that he had to be carried into the church. One phrase remained on his lips until his death, and it was this, my little children love one another. Asked why he always said that, this is how the apostle John replied. It is the Lord's command. And if that alone is done, then it is enough. Isn't it amazing? We talked about this last week. This son of thunder, so eager to conquer the Romans and see Jesus be king, had become the apostle of love. The truth about God. The truth about sin, as ugly as it is and as hard as it is to accept. But then the beauty of God's grace. So on the screen, you see a gentleman named Keith Falconer. This gentleman was born on July, July the 5th, 1856 in Edinburgh. He taught himself Hebrew as a young man. He attended the University of Cambridge where he learned Arabic and Syriac. He moved to Germany for a time to study in Germany to increase his understanding of Arabic, but to also to hone his skills in German. He was an incredible athlete, an unbelievable Cyclist, bicyclist. Matter of fact, he was the world cycling champion in 1878. But his greatest love was Christ and evangelism. During his off days while he was at Cambridge, Keith Falconer would go to the outskirts of town to a community known as Barnwell. It's where all the, the uh, railroad lines, rail, railway lines came together. And he would go out there and minister to the railway workers. He would take the light into the darkness. His biographer said this about those men that he was working with. He, he described them as poor and ignorant. And many followed a vicious course, ungodly, dark place, but in desperate need of the light of the love of Christ. Keith and his wife, Gwendolyn, eventually found themselves serving in the Far East as missionaries. Somebody came to him, somebody that had known him for a long time came to him and said, I don't understand. You're an incredible athlete. Your intellect is unbelievable. Why would you waste your days working with these people? And here's what he said. He said, I have but one candle of life to burn and I would rather burn it out in a land with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Verse five, we proclaim to you what we have heard. I'm asking you to bow your heads. Don't put your stuff away. Don't gather your keys. I know we're two minutes until noon. I get it. I want to ask you some questions. And I want you to be honest Please, 
Are you a child of the light? Or are you a child of darkness? What defines your life? If you are living in the darkness, please come to Christ. I beg you, come to Christ and and taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience his grace. Experience his mercy. Have you deceived yourself? Are you lying to others? Have you lied to yourself? Are you calling God a liar? God forbid. Have you come to God on his terms? Or have you created a more convenient God, a little G-God? And have you relabeled sin to make it more palatable? If that's you, brothers and sisters, you've been deceived. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life that has broken fellowship with the Father? And a more probing question, are you purposefully holding on to it? And why are you holding on to it? What can the world offer you that's more valuable than what God has to offer you? And then finally, one last question. What's your life proclaim? John said, we heard him. We walked with him. We lived with him. We knew him. And we are proclaiming his truths to a world that's lost in darkness. What does your life proclaim? Because we're doing one of two things with our lives. We're either pushing people to the light of Christ and his love and his mercy and his grace, or we're pushing them deeper into the darkness. What does your life proclaim? Father, thank you for your word. It's hard, Father. Your truths are hard sometimes when, when we look at our lives and realize we are, we are wrecked with sin. We are in desperate need of a savior. And Father, you call us to come to you on your terms. And if we don't come to you on your terms, then we don't come to you at all. We can claim the name of Christ, but if we're not walking with you in the light, then we're deceiving ourselves and we're lying to others. So, Father, every person that's in this place, I lift them up to you. Father, would you penetrate their hearts with your love and your mercy and your grace? And, Father, if they don't know you, then, Father, please let today be the day of salvation. Father, if there's a a child of yours that is here today and they're, they're messing around in darkness, they're toying with sin, convict them. Break their hearts, discipline them, Father, and draw them out of that and back into right relationship with you because they're telling a story and the world is watching and reading and listening. And God forbid that we would push someone to darkness because your word says if we cause one of these little ones to stumble, Father, it'd be better that we weren't born or that we were cast into the sea with a millstone around our necks. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray.